Let's bow for a word of prayer. God, we've just uh, worshiped you, um, and through our song and through our words, we've expressed a recognition of your love for us. Uh, we recognize the beauty and the wonder of what you did on the cross, Jesus. And we're here today to gather to reflect again, um, just in a special way, in a designated way, um, on what you did for us, Jesus. And we we're grateful, and at the same time, I know that it, it, it saddens our hearts to think that this was what was required for our sin. And so, Jesus, we're here today to just honor you and to recognize, um, as your people, uh, the incredible sacrifice that you made. And we just are grateful again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you here, and those of you watching online, I want to welcome you as well, and it's good uh, to be able to be together um, during this time. When you talk about Jesus, something I think is important for us to note is that there's a lot of different views, and there's actually a fair bit of popularity when it comes to Jesus. Uh, you may not know this, but Jesus is actually incredibly popular. He's well-known. He's well-known around the world. He's well-known outside of Christian circles. He's respected. He's hated. He is laughed at. He's admired. Jesus is well-known. If you would go and do a search within a library, you will find lots and lots of books and uh, you know, articles on Jesus. If you go to a bookstore and you look up books on Jesus, and you'll find all kinds of writings on him, about him. And then if you go to the almighty internet, and you search Jesus in the internet, you will receive millions and millions of hits talking about him, recognizing him. Jesus has made it into popular culture. Jesus has made it into all kinds of different areas of writings, I noticed this week that there is a Jesus diet out there in case you're interested on eating according to how Jesus may have eaten. I saw a book, you know, in the, in the past it was big, What Would Jesus Do? Uh, there's a book out there called What Would Jesus Eat? And again, you can research that and you can, you know, I don't know if it's a Christian book or not, it, it's just, but it's out there. Jesus is well known. We want to start there today. That whether it is, you know, uh, in agreement with him, whether it is mocking him, whether it is worshiping him, our Lord and Savior is known around the world. And what we want to do today, and what we want to do in the series that we're actually starting today called Jesus, is we want to take some time and we want to explore and examine what did Jesus do? When you think of his life on earth, as short as it was, and his ministry life, which was even shorter, and we start looking at what he did, I think it's important for us to examine them and to see what is it that Jesus did. And we're not going to do this with, by making assumptions. We're not going to do this by, you know, um, projecting things. We're going to just look at Scripture and from Scripture try to understand as best as we can what was it that Jesus did. Because what he did, whether you 
worship him or whether you don't worship him impacts how we are to live to this day. And so by examining scripture, we want to learn how he lived. And as believers, as a church, we want to examine all the more how he lived and what is the impact. What is, what is it that he modeled for you and I to follow? So today we're going to look, obviously, with it being Good Friday, we're going to look at the fact that Jesus died for us. He died for us. That's what he did. We're going to focus, though, not just on the simple saying, well, Jesus died for us, but we're going to focus today from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, on what does this mean for you and I? I think it's so quick for us and easy for us to, to rattle off, you know, Jesus died for you. Okay, beautiful. We as Christians would definitely understand that that's not, that's not just something simple that happened. There, it, there's, a, there's an incredible pain and incredible torment and, and agony that went with it. But what we want to do today by looking at Colossians, okay, then what does that mean for you and I? And so if you're here today and, and you've maybe not really considered lately and you're here and you're like, yep, today's the day that we recognize and we, we remember and we, we admire and we celebrate that Jesus died for us. I'm hoping that by the end of the sermon today, you will be aware of what that death has done and accomplished for you. If you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2, the words will be on the screen, but I'd love for you to open your Bibles. And if you're at home, yes, those words are going to be on your screen, but I would love for you to have your Bibles on your lap, looking at the uh, words and following along. So Colossians chapter 2, we'll start in verse 6. So then, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and not the elemental spiritual forces of, and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now we'll stop there for a second. Some translations in verse 9, instead of using the word lives, use the word dwell. That in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. The word for fullness is the Greek word from which we get our word plentitude. It denotes the totality of the divine power and the attribute that resides in Jesus. This fullness is not a fullness only to a limited amount that we have set in place. This fullness isn't a cup that we said, well, we're going to use a, a one-liter cup or a two-liter cup, and when that cup is full, now it's full. This fullness is fullness, the absolute fullness of all that there is. So in Christ, the fullness of the deity lives. The word dwell is an interesting one. It means to permanently reside. 
this deity of Jesus, this fullness of Jesus, wasn't there for only a temporary time. It wasn't there for only a season. It wasn't there for only a certain moment when it was needed. This deity, this fullness, this dwelling of Jesus and who he is, is permanent. It is who Jesus is. In other words, these divine attributes that Jesus possessed were for all time. They are part of who he is to this day. Paul does a wonderful job here in setting up, and he's very diligent in setting up the supremacy of Jesus. Now, why is that so important? Why is it so important that Paul, before he talks about what the cross has accomplished, why does he take so much time to first set up and explain to us the, the supremacy of who Jesus is? Now, this is important, obviously, because if Jesus is not supreme, if Jesus does not have supremacy over everything, then that changes the impact and the significance of the power of his death. So if we now say that because Jesus died for us, we can have forgiveness of sin, well, that is dependent on whether or not Jesus had supremacy over death, whether or not Jesus was, was the one who could take away all the sins of humanity. So what Paul does in this section he goes into great detail outlining why we can know with absolute certainty that Jesus was the fullness of God. The full measure of who God is. The supremacy. However, because Jesus was supreme over everything, this means that his death then is enough. His death is enough. Nothing more is needed because he in himself had the authority to give us victory over death. So what did Jesus do? Well, I hope by now already you're beginning to realize that to say, well, Jesus died is too simple of a statement to some degree. So we need to understand with that death, what did Jesus accomplish? Let's continue reading in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Now in verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So again, to repeat myself, so what did Jesus do? The short answer to that question is, he died for us. True. However, that seems to limit Maybe for some people, the understanding, the ability to fully grasp what his death accomplished for us. And so we must not stop only at saying, well, he died for us. We need to continue researching, continue understanding, to fully understand the significance then of this death. So Paul tells us in these verses that while we 
were dead. God made us alive with Jesus. So here's a line I would love for you to remember. Jesus' death brought life, not death. And that's one of the beauties. And when, when we, you know, Bill said, you know, I'm kind of conflicted on Good Friday. And that's one of the beauties of why we can gather as a church to remember his death. Because we know that his death did not only bring death. It brought life. Jesus' death brought life, not death. Through his death, our sins are forgiven. The charge was canceled. Think about that for a moment. If you've ever gone to court or if you've ever had a speeding ticket and you go before the judge and the judge looks at you and says, okay, I'm just going to let this one go. There's a sense of celebration. There's a sense of I didn't deserve that and I'm grateful that I received something I did not necessarily deserve. Your charge, the sin that you and I were guilty of was dismissed. It was canceled. Our debt as a result of our sin has been removed from us. It has been taken away. It is no longer something that you have to figure out how to pay for. There's no longer a need for us to try to do all these sacrifices in the way they used to in the Old Testament. Sacrifice after sacrifice, year after year. There was no end to it. It seemed like they were in this perpetual loop of trying to be good enough for God so that he would accept them and forgive them. When Jesus died, that debt has been forgiven. It has been canceled. So how was that done? How was that debt canceled? How was that sin forgiven? How was that charge removed? Well, we know from what we've read and what Paul says here that it was done by nailing it to the cross. I want you just to visualize with me for a moment. And you've seen images of Jesus being crucified and his arms up against the wood and not to get too graphic because there's kids, but his arms up against the wood and then the nail going through the hand or the, or the wrist and his feet. I want you just to visualize that. And I want you to realize that when they nailed Jesus to that wood, to that cross, those sail, sailor, soldiers who were nailing Jesus to that cross were also nailing your sins, my sins. To that cross. Now think of your sin. Think about the person you would be without a savior. Two days ago, or just yesterday, I celebrated my 28th birthday, my spiritual birthday, when I gave my life to Jesus. I still remember, and I'm sure you do too, I still remember really well the despair in my life before I gave my life to Jesus. Oh, I thought I was having fun. I thought I was living well. I thought I was doing the things I wanted to do, and I indulged myself in all kinds of things that were extremely unhealthy. But deep down there was this Emptiness, there was this pain, there was this longing for more, for, for something greater. And how awesome to know 
that even though I had not embraced that gift yet, that the penalty had already been nailed to the cross for my sin. I want you just to visualize that for a moment. Because the last thing we want to do when we talk about the death of Jesus Christ is to talk about it only as a subject. His death is personal. His death is for you and I. It was done for people. It was done not so that we could write books about it, we could make movies about it. It was so that individual people could surrender their lives to him and have freedom from their sins. Think of all the things that you're ashamed of. All the things that you want to keep secret. That sinful nature of yours and mine was nailed with Christ to the cross. He bore our sin. If you have your Bibles, jump back to verse 10 in Colossians. Verse 10, Colossians 2, 10. It says this, in Christ, look at what he does now. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In previous verses, Paul made this argument for who Jesus was. And he explained, you know, it's the supremacy of Jesus. And now he includes us. That who Jesus is has benefit for us. That if we are in Christ, we have been brought to fullness. In Christ, we lack nothing. Your sin and my sin, it demanded that a debt be paid. It demanded that a price be paid. There are powers and authorities that were demanding a sacrifice, a price to be paid for the sins that we have. And of course, we're talking here about Satan. So therefore... When Jesus died on the cross, he disarmed the powers and the authorities, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What appeared on that day as a defeat was instead absolute victory. You heard Maria read of how Jesus breathed his last. He gave up his spirit. And he died. Now here we have to do some assuming, because Scripture doesn't tell us these things, but we're pretty safe to make these assumptions, because what we understand is that Satan at that moment thought he had won. Satan thought he had won, and we don't have any description on what he did, but the assumption would be that he was absolute sure that he had just won. Satan did not understand that Jesus had the power and the authority to take upon himself our sins. So Satan, like those soldiers and like the uh, Pharisees and like all the other bystanders, when they saw Jesus being crucified, they just saw a man being crucified. And they did not understand the significance of the death that happened that day at Golgotha. They had no understanding of the significance. Paul tells us that Jesus made a public spectacle He made a public spectacle of them. His death, as painful and as cruel as it was, was not the end of the story. That's why Maria ended her reading by saying, and it was Friday. 
we know that this is not the end of the story. His death was part of a plan. When Jesus cried out to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he asked his father, if there is another way, if there is another way for this to be done, take this cup from me. And when none was provided, Jesus willingly for you and I went to the cross. He went in order to put his supremacy on full display for the salvation of every single person. So Jesus died to reconcile us, to bring us back into proper relationship with God. The word reconciled is used multiple times in the New Testament, and it means the restoration of a previous existing relationship. Sin puts us at odds with God. Jesus, through his work on the cross, bridged that gap. He brought us back together. He restored the relationship that was broken between humanity and God, making it possible on this very day for us to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. His death brought peace. The absence of hostility the presence of tranquility. From the Old Testament concept of peace, we have the word shalom, which means to be healthy, to be whole, the harmony enjoyed when a person's relationship with God is where and what it should be. Jesus brought us shalom with God. Through Jesus, his death gives us this peace. We are no longer separated from God, and we can now have peace with God. We can be reconciled with our Heavenly Father because of the price that Jesus paid on that cross. So on Good Friday, we often think of Jesus' physical death. And it's healthy for us to, to do so. It's healthy for us to understand how horrific his death was. And especially when one considers his innocence, that he was completely innocent, and yet he died in this horrific way. It's healthy for us to do that because we need to know that this cost Jesus everything. It cost God everything. But do not stop only at his physical death. Make sure that you and I today understand that that death, his death, has spiritual implications for us, So that if you are in a place where you do not have a relationship with God, you can have a relationship restored with God through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. His death accomplished for us what could not be done any other way. I want to read to you just a segment of verses. And I want you to hear in these Bible verses the affirmation of what Jesus has done for us. So you may not be able to turn there fast enough, so just follow along. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd 
shepherd and overseer of your souls. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. Catch that? Offered himself. Cleansed our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Romans 6, verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ has, was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We could read many more verses that emphasize and explain to us and show us so clearly what Christ's death accomplished for us. So my prayer for us is this. That whenever we hear or whenever we say that Jesus died, that at that moment we would also reflect then on what his death means for us. That in that moment, if you hear someone say it or if you... Catch yourself saying it, which you should, if you read it somewhere, if you hear it in a song, wherever it might be. And you hear Jesus died. That in that moment, you would stop for a second and just recognize that that death is significant for you and I. It has implications. It accomplished something. It wasn't just a human death. It was death to sin and life in Christ. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your life, I invite you to do that today. Whether you're here in this room or whether you're watching online, I would encourage you today, if you've never embraced what was accomplished for you, do that today. Acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Acknowledge that Jesus is the only one who can save you and then surrender yourself. Invite the victory that Jesus has already paid for, has already accomplished, and invite that to become who you are. Full surrender, fully devoted to this Jesus who has done so much for us. So we're in the room, and we're going to go towards communion in a little bit. But I want to pray. And those of you watching online or watching this later, I want to ask that you would make this work. And that you would take time, just as if you were in this room, to reflect. 
So if there's distractions around you at home or wherever you're watching, would you just take a moment right now and just try as best as you can to remove those distractions? Because what we need to do now before we take communion, we need to take some time and we need to reflect on what this means for us. So I want to pray and then I want to give you a chance just to sit in silence and just to reflect for yourself what this means for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we're grateful. And I think some of us have faked being grateful because there's so much stuff going on. And, and yet, God, I think when we really stop and ponder what you've done, we are grateful. Jesus, you died willingly. And as we've looked at Scripture, we see what that death has accomplished for us. That in you, because of you, because of what you did, the debt is paid. The sin is canceled. It's removed. So we're here today saying thank you, Jesus, for that sacrifice. I pray, we pray as a church, that if someone listening or someone here today that has never given their life to you, that at this moment, they would examine the evidence of what you have done. And they would then examine their own hearts and to see what is lacking. And that through the Holy Spirit, you would make that connection of what they need and what you have done and that they would surrender themselves right now and receive this gift of grace to receive the salvation that is available to them. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.